Oh no, yeah. She's going. She's going, going, going. Yeah. Right. I'm coming now. Too many tangents. Alright, 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 alright. Let's do it. So excited. Bloopity, 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 bloop. Next question. Hello, world. This is Charles and Eliza. Life should be podcasts, everyone. Life is easy if you have a podcast. Except it's not because sometimes you have arguments about what the podcast is going to be about, but then you have to be happy and say things on the podcast that are true, which we do. Hello, world. This is us. Come and see. House of Sand things <laughs> when they happen. <laughs> I was and just as you started singing, I was about to go hello, 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 and then as you were singing, I was like, oh, that's a Rue thing. <laughs> we just watched Rue Paul. We we watched uh, we watched the Snatch Game of Love. Always oh, such a great episode. Oh my god, it was really good. Did you like it? I loved it. I, I was gonna say I Rue loved it, and then I realized that that isn't anything. <laughs> um, you had you fell in in Rue love. I had I had a it romance was, with it. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, oh, and we just realized Rue Paul. If you're ever listening to this. You should say, come great. In, in all stars only, because that's the only time this line happens. But uh, in with great power comes great responsibility. responsibility. Can't believe I haven't thought of that oh yet. Oh my Ryan. god, Rue, you silly, you <laughs> silly, silly, silly lady. Rude. Anyway, we're a bit peppy and excited because not only did we just watch the Snatch Game of Love, uh, we're also here to talk to you about what's happening with House of Sand in 2019. And, most importantly, I just made a new version of the Saddle Club theme song. Yes, that's our major that's creative output. That's the major output creative output for 2019. For <laughs> so, you've got it now, and from here it's all downhill. That's not true. That's not true. So We can't confirm that. It was a very good song I just made <laughs> up. It could all be downhill, or it could all be uphill, podcast guys. Just between you and me, with Eliza not listening, that's why I'm whispering, so she can't hear me. It's probably going to be the worst thing we do. I'm over here thinking do. about something else. <laughs> so we're talking about our 2019 project and season, but what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to just do like a 15-minute speech where we talk really briefly about all the things and then tell you to buy tickets, because we're not that kind of a company. And because also, let's be honest, we can't give anything to fifteen minutes. <laughs> but also, we didn't. Um, we we have a much more developmental year yes. than we had in twenty eighteen, and there are less things to buy tickets for, but just as many exciting things happening that you can see for free, or that you can keep track of in various digital formats, and some of them you can buy tickets for. So we wanted. We thought it would be interesting to have a kind of bit of a chat about the projects and performances that we're working towards and presenting in 2019 and go a bit more in depth about our inspirations for them, our ideas about them, and some of the development processes and all of that stuff. So hopefully you'll find that interesting and if not, then we'll put the time codes in for where you can just get the 30 second or two minute pitch bit. No, you have to listen to the whole thing. That's good, because I wasn't going to program time codes. <laughs> I was making it up. We're not going to do time codes. Um, if you want to do that, you can wait a month until we put it all on the website. <laughs> all okay, right. so what are we doing in 2019? Charlie, tell me all about it. Okay. Because I don't know. <laughs> I do know. It's okay. 
Alright, so first major project for 2019 is a really exciting new play that I have been working on pretty much since, when was it? About six, nine months ago, nine months ago now? For nine months now, uh, I have been working with an amazing writer by the name of Sunny Grace who was in my graduating year at NADA. We talked about the pronunciation of that word a couple of episodes ago. Check it out if you're wondering why it sounds so weird. That's episode four with Enya Daly. <laughs> so I've been working with Sunny Grace on a new play, which is currently got the has currently got the working title, Sisters, the play by Stephen Sewell, a new play by Sunny Grace. Yes, that's intentionally confusing. It is a meta-theatrical riff on and look at Stephen Sewell's play, Sisters, um, which is a play about two women, uh, sisters, funnily enough, and their various relationships to, uh, to womanhood and their personal stories. And what this play is going to be about is about a group of people, two actors, a director and a stage manager, staging a new production of Stephen Sewell's play, Sisters. Or is it? Is that just another fictional construct around which there are other scenes that are the real world? Or what's happening there? Um, it's an exploration of a lot of really interesting stuff in the zeitgeist at the moment, and it kind of brings together what we were exploring with Welcome to the Bright World, i.e. Stephen's uh, interesting representations of kind of human life and human relationships with social structures with what we're exploring with Revolt, which is about women's place and women's issues and women's agency and advocacy in the telling of stories and the shaping of narratives. So it'll bring those two things together. In the first instance, we are working with the wonderful Anna Cheney, who is in the Sydney production of Revolt. She's an... our amazing sexual health ambassador. Or something yeah. like that. Work, workplace welfare officer. Workplace. But sure, that too. I'm sure she can give you advice on what is the best form of contraception to use, as well as how to protect yourself from uh, workplace harassment and how to create a company with an excellent workplace harassment ethos. Um, or anti-workplace harassment ethos. You know what I mean. Um, <laughs> she's great. Um, she's we, a wonderful We actor. like to make sure we make a real effort to harass everyone equally. Is that... How that goes? Uh, I mean, I mean, no, <laughs> not at all. But sure, you guys will almost know Anna, and she's a fantastic asset to our company in a whole range of ways. We're very excited to work with her again. A wonderful actor that we haven't worked with before, but who I've known for a few years, a woman by the name of Elaine Hudson, who is just fantastic, will also be joining us for that project, uh, and two actors to be confirmed. So. That is a creative development. No full public season just yet, um, but a, a really exciting uh, month-long creative development at the University of Sydney, or at Sydney Uni it's Sydney University, right? I have literally no idea. At Sydney University. I do know. I just wanted to like make it sound like I ask you questions Thanks sometimes. Thanks for including <laughs> me. <laughs> um, creative development at Sydney Uni in March and April, so Sydney Ciders, that will have showings then. The showings will be open to um, to all comers uh, who are on our 
All, all people who know how to ejaculate. Yeah, so only, <laughs> only grown-ups, please, and promiscuous youths. Um, <laughs> there'll be a couple of open showings near the end of that development. They will likely be on the 11th and 12th of April. What else? What else do they need to know about that show? What do you? What do you want to know about that show? Because uh, Eliza is not hasn't been involved in that this much so far. So. Well, why do you want to keep working with Stephen? What's so good about him, hey? <laughs> um, well, okay, a couple of things. As, apart from being, well, as one of Australia's most well-respected playwrights and, and kind of prolific playwrights, in uh, particularly in the kind of 80s, late 70s, 80s into the 90s, Stephen's canon of work, we're back on that again, um, firing people out of cannons. Stephen's canon of work is as close as we could get in this country, with the possible exception of David Williamson, to properly canonical work. And that brings with it a whole bunch of positives. People are relatively aware of his work, he has a distinctive viewpoint, um, but it brings with it a whole bunch of challenges um, in that these works should be done, they should be done as artifacts of their time, they should be done as reflections on the human experience, but they are, and in this particular case, it is a work written in the very early 90s, you know, pre, what are we calling it, third, fourth wave feminism, pre-girl power feminism, but also pre, um, pretty kind of Spice Me Girls Too were feminism. around in the early 90s. No, they really weren't. You've got your, you've got your timelines so mixed up, babe. The Spice Girls are like 95 to 9. Yeah, that's the early 90s, right? <laughs> It's the early, late 90s. Eliza's confused because she was born in 1993. No, this Spice Girls went around in 1991. So he's he's writing from a particular perspective and he's also writing from from his personal lived experience being that of a man. There, so there are big questions about, you know, whether that story legitimately deserves to be told, whether Stephen has a right to be telling it, whether I, as a at least biologically male director, have a right to be directing it. And then the conversation that got Sonny and I started working and thinking about the project was about instances where we have had, where we've been told, you don't have a right to tell a certain story. So I don't think Sonny would mind me sharing this. If she does, we'll cut it. But uh, Sonny shared a story about how she was told by a fellow artist that she shouldn't tell a story about the lives of Samoan people. Sonny happens to have been in a 25-year marriage to a Samoan man and has two half-Samoan children. And so, you know, it's, it's almost absurd to suggest that she doesn't have a right to tell that story. And various challenges that I have had being, again, biologically male, but identifying as gender something, where people have said you shouldn't be telling women's stories or you shouldn't be um, taking the helm on stories about trans people in a you know, variety of contexts. And so... We wanted to unpick whether what those people are saying is to some extent true, how much truth there is to it. If it's true, why? Maybe it's not true. You know, pick all that apart in a kind of interesting and also comedic dramatic context. Sonny's a great writer of um, of kind of wry comedy. And we thought that... Uh, what? But she's a woman. I know. Women can be funny. It's very surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, Tina Fey. Oh, Yeah. I always assumed she had a penis. <laughs> just in her handbag. No. Like, like a real-life human penis, but in, in her handbag. I guess it wouldn't be live unless it was attached to a man. It could be a big handbag or a small man. Anyway. Yeah, so we, we were excited about that 
that context of like you know rehearsal rooms because some we definitely have a right to talk about that we do <laughs> loads of those we do indeed so it's, the, it's a kind of a right what you know thing but I think also audiences are to some extent familiar with the archetypes of the people in the entertainment industry you know like mm. the ingenue actor who's using her sexuality to get ahead the kind of really politically active uh, like activist actor whether male or female the kind of pretend woke director that's the me character but less woke than maybe the same amount of woke as me. We'll see how it pans out. <laughs> Art even takes On a scale of life. one to woke, <laughs> please um, send in your answers. What do you think Charlie is? Uh, I'd say yeah. about a seven and a half. Oh, thanks. Looks like that's quite a compliment. That's like a B. That's like an A minus. No, it's like a B. It's like a B plus. <laughs> sure. Actually, I think you'd be better than that. I reckon you'd be at least an A. Maybe an A minus. You'd be more than a B. You're pretty woke. So that's sisters. So that's, that's sisters. Yeah. And there's, that's not even after the first development, so there's obviously so much more potential stuff going where on that there. will go. Yeah, oh, the thing that I wanted to say, sorry, just to finish up that previous thought, is I think that that rehearsal room dynamic has really great capacity for, like, crazy comedy and things that people go, oh, yeah, I have people in my workplace like that, or I have people, like, that is really recognisable, but also kind of shines a weird, fuzzy, strange light on it from an interesting perspective. So we're very excited about that. It dovetails from... I'm particularly excited about it, obviously. This is when I'm... That's also the notes for... We're not sure who the lighting designer is yet, but a uh, yeah. weird, fuzzy, strange light is going to feature <laughs> in the lighting design. I'm particularly excited about it because I'm spearheading this one and um, it brings together a whole bunch of creative interests and a whole bunch of threads from work that we did in 18 as well. So, project one, Sisters... The play by Stephen Sewell, a new play by Sunny Grace, full stop, super confusing meta-theatrical title, cope with it, maybe we'll change it, we'll see how we feel, we'll super see whether we think it's going to be confusing meta-theatrical content. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, it does what it says on the tin. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that will have... That's the right expression to use. I was going to say, do judge a book by its cover, but there's already an expression which is... Yeah, does that. what it says on the tin, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do touch a book back, it's covered, because maybe we should swap it. Doesn't do what it says on the, doesn't do it on the tin. And <laughs> don't trust don't. what the tin says. <laughs> that well, will now have... you've just opened up a whole new can of worms. Tin? Mm. Yeah, close, close. Good. Something about a kettle of fish? I don't know. <laughs> that... Skinning a cat. <laughs> can, I, can I get the little Sorry. bit out? Jesus. <laughs> Sisters, the play by Stephen Sewell, a new play by Sunny Grace, in creative development at Sydney Uni, March, April 2019, and with public showings on April 11th and or 12th. Put it in your diary, Sydney Ciders, and we will see you there. That's our first big project for the year. Yay, be there or be box-shaped. Great. Is that because we live in a three-dimensional world? Yes. Yeah, so it's like square, but you can't be square because they're flat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, did you know that when I was in year three, I got the highest, I had the highest um, mark in the school for the ACTAB testing for space and geometry in maths. So that really uh, launched my career in mathematics, which I then quit at the end of year 10. You do realise that space and geometry is literally what you do for a profession. Well, that all adds up. <laughs> <laughs> You idiot. No, but it was like, I was in year three, so it was about like identifying the difference between a square and a rectangle, which yeah. I can still which do. Which you I still just... can do, and you can use in your choreography all the time. 
Wow, I'm learning new things about all the things I learned when I was a child that I thought were useless, but uh, not anymore. I wonder what other things I learned that I thought were useless, which are now good. Alright, so the next project for the year is a project which I had a little brain baby for, and then I brought Charlie on board for, and it's now going to be really the first House of Sand work which has been an equal collaboration between the two of us, which is super exciting, and another descriptive word. Its working title is That Was Friday. The premise of this project came from a poem that my best friend in the whole wide world, Ruby Dixon, wrote. I thought I was your best friend in the whole wide world. Yeah, we, Ruby and I actually had this conversation. If you're a sibling, do you also get to take, take away that title from someone else? Because you're also my only brother slash semi-sister brother. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I get it. It's like if you're, it's like if you're you the mother of the bride, you can't also be the best maid because that would be a waste of the best maid. What's the best, best, best maid? maid. <laughs> best maid. I get confused about gender things. The maid of honor, the best man. You know yes. what I mean. <laughs> the man of honor and the best maid. Yes. That's what I'm gonna have at my wedding. Yes. Your wedding to the pineapple boyfriend that I gave you for Christmas. Yeah, let's not talk about boyfriends. It's um, a sensitive subject. <laughs> anyway. Ruby is a, an amazing poet, and she wrote a poem while she was travelling in Jerusalem with her family. She is a Jewish-Australian woman who now lives in London. And the poem is this really simple but beautiful account of a day. She simply just woke up one day and throughout the day wrote down a few lines here and there about what was happening, and it amounted into this poem that, when I first read it, kind of took my breath away. It's so visceral and so um, personal and so specific but so abstract and it's all of those kind of dichotomies of things that are apparently contradictory but are actually the same that really get me going in that kind of way that gets me confused and excited in equal measure. So I proposed to Charlie that we create a work from that poem and he came back saying, no, I think you're stupid and a dickhead and we're never going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so now the second project that we're launching for the year is me crying alone in my bedroom because he never supports my ideas. That's not true at all. So <laughs> one of the things that really, apart from the poem being, as Liza says, really beautiful, visceral, evocative and tender in these these ways, these little moments that she describes that are like, oh, I feel that so completely at moments in my life, but com from completely different circumstances and in completely different ways, but it's, yeah, really evocative. But apart from all of that, one of the things that really piqued my interest was the cultural context from which she writes this poem as a Jewish person spending a day in Jerusalem, her quote-unquote ancestral homeland, but a place that to her is actually very unfamiliar and strange. And it got me thinking about the nature of our relationship to to home and to place and the familiarity and strangeness of place as that relates to home. And Eliza and I, I think, have a pretty close relationship to this. Yeah, I jumped on board with that being an interesting, an interesting lens to look at the poem through pretty quickly, being someone who has been constantly transient for the last four years between Australia and New Zealand and all around the world. But also Charlie and I recently had the, well, I recently had the revelation of something very obvious that is 
since our parents separated when I was eight years old, I have not lived in one house consistently since then because we switched between mum's house and dad's house and I don't think of that as being a particularly tumultuous time of my life. Um, but but the fact of the matter is, yeah, the fact of the matter is I have, in my memory, I've never been settled in one place and had a sense that, that one particular place for building is my home and now feeling connected to Australia but also New Zealand, that is something that I continue to grapple with on a kind of larger scale mm. um, and being someone who values that freedom so highly and has the capacity to travel a lot and live in lots of different places, I am terrified by the prospect of not having that freedom. And it feels a little bit that potentially my kind of identity and as a global citizen is a little bit threatened at the moment with kind of hostilities and borders being more of a thing. So it feels timely to investigate what it means to be someone who isn't necessarily connected to just one place, but who has draws to all over the world and reasons to want to move frequently. Mm. And I think that the kind of the flip side of that is that Eliza and I talk about this a lot, you know, we recognize really acutely how privileged we are and that, you know, we are a generation of people and we're probably kind of some of the most extreme representations of it, but we are from a generation of, of Westerners who are privileged to be able to travel and be able to move around a lot for relatively cheap and, and have a tr newly transient sense of home that I think is, you know, almost unprecedented in modern history. Um, we were talking about this just today, that when, you know, our grandparents' generations migrated, they migrated and they knew that that was going to be their home for probably the rest of their lives. Whereas we, as a generation, can feel free to migrate every couple of years if we want to, in, in, you know, for, for many of us. But we're also super cognizant of the fact that there are big swathes of the population who don't want to migrate and are forced to do so. Mm for a whole variety of reasons, um, and especially at the moment, you know, we have the, the greatest human mobility of history, um, the forced migration from climate issues, from war, and, and a whole bunch of other factors. And I think that, the again, it feels timely to be investigating against that backdrop and potentially collaborating with some people who have experiences that are more on that end of the spectrum. And, you know, I think, and I think that transience thing is something that it, we, we have very much in common and sparks off another really interesting little thematic thread for me as a, as a human and an artist about queerness and the nature of queer people as being kind of homelandless, that our communities are only created by us coming together in, in you know, gay meccas like San Francisco or Sydney. We don't, there's no capacity for us to create an Israel, you know, like we are kind of intrinsically diasporic. Um, I mean, unless you think of the Castro as Israel. In which case, <laughs> maybe let's not let's not go down that potentially fraught path about like San Franciscan apartheid and building <laughs> settlements. <laughs> you know, not like that. Not let's not do that. We may go down that path in the future. Um, in the show, creative yeah. <laughs> developments of this show, but we won't bore you with it now. So it's a, it's a really complex and um, and interesting. Well, I think interesting, but it's certainly complex. <laughs> um, <laughs> new work. 
and, and what it's going to be is it's going to be about those little intimate personal experiences, moments and observations that add up to a suite of, uh, of kind of musings and meditations on, on these ideas of home and familiarity and strangeness and how that's all shifting and changing. And it's also a really exciting, op the, the next kind of layer is that the, the concept of familiarity and strangeness it provides so much of a backdrop for thematic exploration, but it also provides so much potential for formal exploration. So part of what we want to do in this exploration, in this creation, which is now us working equally alongside each other, is to reimagine and recreate our ways of working and approaching the creation of content and material in the space with dancers, with actors, with designers, and that the concept of familiarity and strangeness is also part of the creative process and how we want to go about things. So we want to actively take ourselves into places that are unfamiliar to us and to begin to collaborate with people who we haven't worked with before so that we can access some strangeness and some possibility for failure in a way to yeah. open up new strangenesses for ourselves while also you know continuing to explore, ex to explore some of the things we're familiar with <laughs> <laughs> good englishing eliza and Polly nelson <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's a throwback to our previous episode that's episode you've got to stop telling them when it's a throwback no no because it's good because then if they didn't listen to the previous episodes then they'll go back and we'll get more hits <laughs> yeah, it's all about it's all about getting the listens babe and the <laughs> ratings on itunes and also adding on to that i think we aim to talk about big global issues through really personal lenses in our work and uh, it's very difficult to do that when our personal lenses are continue to be restricted to the experiences of principally Australians and New Zealanders who are, let's be honest, principally relatively middle class, increasing the diversity of the artists that we work with in, in a variety of ways and, and reaching out to the world more broadly so that we really are building our own empathy for those stories and our own understanding of those experiences but also that perhaps we can bring some iota of that back and bring those artists to share with our audiences and yeah in increasing the do true diversity within the company i yeah. think is important do some cultivating of empathy for different people and different ways of living through the art <laughs> through the art Art, the art, darling. Art. So. so yes, many, 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 many applications pending for that, and we have can guarantee that something will happen. <laughs> you need to finish that sentence. Yeah. Suffice it to say, with a whole swath of applications submitted, about to be submitted, and about to be written, and then submitted for that project, um, there will be at least one substantial creative development with either a live showing outcome or a um, digital showing outcome during 2019 at some point. So keep Stay your tuned. eyes on the Facebook and keep your ears open for a showing. <laughs> Great. Um, cool, so the next thing, which is lock it in for a first development is a super exciting project that I will be doing with James O'Hara. We have been granted one of the seed residencies from Strut, uh, the Strut Choreographic Centre in Perth, which is super exciting and it allows James and I to work for a month in the studio 
with Isabella Stone coming in to work as dramaturge on a new duet that we're going to make. Um, For those who are not Wellingtonians or Perthians, uh, or just for some other reason don't know who James O'Hara is, talk a little bit about James. <laughs> or Brusselians or Londonians I'm or assuming Parisians. most of our people are like Australian New Zealand based. Yeah. Um, James is a incredible dancer and creator who has been working at the New Zealand School of Dance for the past two years and who previous to that was working in Europe for all manner of incredible companies as a dancer and rehearsal director and choreographer for 12-ish years. List a few of them because they're really big names. Uh, they're really, they're really <laughs> impressive names. <laughs> he's worked for the Bolshoi, he's worked for the Royal Paris Paris Opera Ballet. Opera Ballet. He's worked for the Paris Opera Ballet. He's, he's worked predominantly with City Labi Shikawi for Eastman. He's done some stuff with Bathsheba. He's performed for Chunky Move. He's he's very impressive. He's done lots of things. He, he did some stuff for, with Marina Abramovic. He, um, he worked quite a lot with an incredible artist called Marina Mascarell. Um, he's worked with Michael Keegan Dolan. I'm just—I could just name drop for hours. Oh, I'm and sorry, hours. Eliza. I think you dropped this. <laughs> oh, sorry. Here's a bundle of names. <laughs> no, not I... even my own name dropping. <laughs> and I know him. Um, yeah. So James and I. He have... is just. I'll just, I'll just butt in. Having not being like best friends with James, I can say from a professional distance that he is an astounding artist and uh, also an excellent human being. He's also very tolerable to live with. So, <laughs> actually, I would say more than tolerable. I'd say he's one of my best housemates ever. Uh, yes, so James and I have been living together in New Zealand when I'm there for the past two years as he has been working at the School of Dance and in that time we have talked ad nauseum about our desire to create together, which has been brewing since we met six years ago and we actually were lucky enough to do that for the first time in 2018 we created a work on footnote dance company um, called a snail watches dust particles in sunlight and basically during the creation of that we were confirmed in what we thought might be the case in that we really love working together and make what we think is some pretty cool interesting stuff so part of the process part of the creation for that work is that James and I danced together improvised and then created movement from there and then set that on the dancers bodies and we had a little bit of a struggle on some occasions that because we're both dancers as well we really wanted to be doing a bit of performing as well so we thought better make that happen so we sought this opportunity to start the creation of a new duet that we will create together and perform in and we're gonna start exploring that in June in Perth. We'll have some showings at the end of it and we can talk about it. What What is also really exciting about this particular opportunity is James being someone even more than myself who we, re we really wanted the opportunity to just let the dance and the movement speak for itself. So we have no idea what this work is about we're just going to get into the studio and move because we move well together and we have good vibes together and uh, we're so grateful that Strut was able to take that on as a pitch <laughs> because being movers it's really hard to articulate <laughs> and talk about 
in language what we want to do because if we could write about it we'd write an essay but we're not writers we're movers so we need to move to figure out what the thing is so to have the the space and time and support and to have an organization which has respected that that's it's a valid and important starting point for a dance work is so fucking exciting yeah not saying that you know dance that can be written about or you know processes that can be written about no but i think it's true less like, valid, but i um, mean some yeah. of us are some of us are I, I think of our sister daisy really good some artists are really good at talking about their work in kind of abstracts and grant applications and that kind of thing and for others of us, I think even for the majority of us artists, part of the reason, or one of the main reasons we make work is it's because that mode of communication, whatever genre it is that we work in or art form, is the way that we best express how we think and feel about and see the world. And I think, look, I wouldn't say that's not true for Daisy either, um, but she also just happens to be very good with kind of academic language. But she can do both. She can do both, um, and and lots of artists, lots of amazing artists can do both, and and we are learning to do both. We're getting quite good at it, but intrinsically there is something that you can express in the language that your body and your mind are most attuned to, that you might be able to express well enough to get the application, but is going to be uniquely expressed in that form. And I think you're so right that to have institutions and supporters and partners who recognize that that is the starting point for the creation of performative work and of artistic work so important and so so great it's worth mentioning at this point that we have the support of um, numerous institutions that have recognized that thus far obviously strut and the university of, of uh, sydney university i did that backwards again Sydney University. It's a university in Sydney. In um in two thousand and nineteen. And QL two. And QL two, who have lent their nominal and probably in the very near future practical support to that was Friday, and and we've had you know those kinds of partners and supporters throughout twenty sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen as well, and it is a substantial part of where we are today. So I'd encourage. Can I can I be a bit like moralistic for a second? Sure. Can I encourage anyone who doesn't think that way and perhaps funds artists or programs artists to maybe start thinking that way a little bit? Um, the other thing that I'm really excited about about that project, which I know so little about except that I know that I've watched James and Eliza move together and talk about movement together and, and kind of start by talking about movement and then end up wrestling on the floor because <laughs> that's not what they do, is that it will be the first time that a House of Sand project has been led or equally led by someone other than Eliza or I. And I think it's a, I'm really excited to see what more like we the company can create when we keep, we continue opening our doors to new collaborators in a variety of roles, them leading, us leading, us leading with them, maybe us then putting ourselves under create, other creators in the future and, and you know, really exploring the whole gamut of ways that a creative team can be made up and I wish me too didn't happen because I really wanted to say something about putting myself under a handsome handsome creative man I feel like if you consent to it it's totally okay I, I don't think the whole point of me too is to just like not have sex anymore oh great <laughs> I'm not saying that if we ever have a handsome man creating for us he's also going to be talented in the bedroom and are you saying that he's also welcome to engage in mutually consensual 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> With you. <laughs> you dickhead. Good. Um, Good. That seems appropriate. <laughs> Great. Are we done with that now? We're moving on. So yeah, also, also just super excited to work with Isabella Stone, who is another person that I have come across in various workshops and here and there and frequently been like, oh, baby, let's work together. Don't quite know how to articulate how, when, or why, and now it's happening. So that is super exciting because she is a very talented, beautiful, intuitive human and mover. So that is the Strut Dance Seed Residency in Perth in June with end of development showings, exact dates, TBC. Perthians, put it in your diary. Get on down. Put it in your diary for like June 1 to be like, check dates for Eliza Sanders and James O'Hara's strut residency. So that by that point, you know I do that all the time. Apply, uh, check application dates for this, (laughs) like two months before I know the applications are going to open sometime soon. It's really clever. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunate, bitch. <laughs> that sounds more pleasurable than I imagine it is. <laughs> it's very pleasurable being organised. Let me tell you. I mean, I guess it depends who buy. That's um, myself. Myself, Eliza. <laughs> Only ever myself. <laughs> That's it. That's number three. Seed, resident st- seed residency at Strut, June. Alright. The split. It's where we get a piece of my hair that has a split end, and we really, really slowly peel it apart to turn it into two pieces of hair. Oh, that gives me, oh, that gives me nails on the chalkboard. We multiplied the amount of hair. Oh. By two, by one. Ripping hairs in half gives me nails on the chalkboard. Oh, really? Yeah, that's gross. Touching dry flour with just a small amount of butter gives me that feeling. (laughs) The split. So I can't make scones. (laughs) Sorry. We're talking about, shh. The split is our major public performance season for the year at this stage. It's an amazing, 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 amazing new play by a really wonderful writer called Sarah Hamilton, who I have known since 2012, but I didn't know it was by her. So here's the story. I went to Edinburgh in 2012 with uh, a production of Love Child with my previous company. We've talked about that before. I think that was episode three. Throwback. (laughs) It's the episode of throwing forward and throwing back. You see, it all comes together. (laughs) We met in 2012 in Edinburgh. And by chance, uh, a beautiful play called The Split, with the author's name deleted off it because it was part of a playwriting competition, came across my desk as something that I needed to read for this playwriting competition at the beginning of last year. And I thought it was one of the most beautiful new Australian plays I have read in a very, 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 very long time. And so I called the administrator of the playwriting competition and I said, give me the name and the number of the writer. I want to do this play. I want to do this play. I want to do this play. And, um, and the name and number were sent to me and it was Sarah Hamilton, who I'd known for like five years. So I gave her a call. Um, we had That's a- almost as good as Tim Minchin's story about the Royal Shakespeare Company and Matilda, except it's not. But oh. it's close. Well, thank you, I suppose. Anyway, back to me. I called Sarah and we got chatting and we... Uh, reconnected in a really beautiful way and it's been such a thrill to chat to her about this play sporadically over the last 12 months just having an idea and then pitching it to a few people and then someone being interested in it 
so at the end of 2019, I'm so I'm kind of upset that it's so far away because I just want to do it right now. I'm so excited <laughs> about this play. But in December, we will again be partnering with the Old 505 Theatre in Newtown. Um, Shot Carey, love you. Bloody love legend. those guys. Amazing. To present Sarah Hamilton's play, The Split. We sidebar, the Old 505 Theatre are just excellent. And they have been supporting us in, in a whole variety of ways since 2016 when they helped us to bring Pedal and Castles across from New Zealand. We've done Revolt there. I did another show there that was a separate production company called Flood. They were always incredibly supportive. And I said to Kerry when she was programming the season, I really, really want to do this production, but I don't think I have the resources. And she came back and said, we will help you out in X, Y, and Z extra ways because we are so invested in supporting artists and getting really great work on our stages. And I just have the the biggest arts boner for what they do. <laughs> I think they're amazing. Um, so that's it's actually a co-production with the Obo 5 this time. And I'm really excited to work much more closely with Kerry on the work and to be part of, you know, increasingly a part of that amazing community that they're building down there at the All Fiber 5 on Eliza Street. For more on community building, go to the most recent podcast before this one. Oh, yeah. Well, it might be after this one. Depends which one we publish oh, first. Oh, it's a mystery. It's Listen a to all of them. <laughs> and then, um, see? See how the throwback. Now they have to listen to every episode. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, do you want to know, I think I should tell them actually something about the play. Yes. But I'm not going to tell you heaps about the play because the mystery of the play is one of the things that's so beautiful about it. <laughs> so, I'll tell you this much. It's about two people on a boat. Very little happens, but something so dense and fecund is going on. Something is um, really, truly monumental in their world is about to change. And the play is about the way that we respond to change with those that we are most intimate with. It's almost like a kind of secular millennial waiting for Godot, but much funnier and quite a bit shorter. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's the best explanation you've given of it so far. Thank you. I, mean, I've I really been working the on it for a while. All the other time, but that's good. Secular millennial waiting for Godot, but much funnier and quite a bit shorter. Yeah. That is the split by Sarah Hamilton. That is on at the Old 505 Theatre in Newtown from the 3rd to the 14th of December just pre-Christmas. It's a really beautiful holiday season play. You're gonna fucking love it. I'm so excited about it. I can't even contain it. I know what the big thing in their relationship is now. It's that one of them's Santa, isn't it? <laughs> that would be a funny play, but it's not the same. That's not that play. Those are... <clears throat> Did you hear that, that glow for eye right there? Those are... I can't do it again. My flame's gone. Uh, those, <laughs> those are the four major House of Sand projects for 2019. 19. Are you excited? I'm so excited. I'm so excited I could. And you just can't just hide it. You're about to lose control. I'm about to lose control and I think I like it. I'm sure I need to dance to that song at my year eight talent quest. Cool. Cool story, Hansel. So there are two other really exciting, substantial. Uh, public outings that we need to announce. You will notice that among those four projects we have a full season only in Sydney and showings in Perth, Sydney and another city 
to be or country to be confirmed. But Adelaideans and Canberrans should rest assured that they can see our shrum of our work, our work, our um, our work, our ethos, and our aesthetics on stage in work that each of us are doing for other companies and institutions during 2019. So, first cab of the rank, Eliza. Oh. You're um, going to be choreographing yes, I once have, again. I have been commissioned for the third year in a row, which is really exciting and humbling, um, by Ruth Osborne at the QL2 Centre for Youth Dance to choreograph for the major project on the Quantum Leap Ensemble this year. And I will be choreographing this year alongside James Batchelor and Ruth Osborne herself, which is incredibly intimidating as they are both artists who I have long admired. I saw James's work Deep Space in Adelaide. It's been doing the rounds for about four years, but I saw it only a few months ago and holy moly, I just, my heart was just... Mm. That was part of Climate Century. Yeah, right. loads of yeah. feels. He's a very talented dude. Uh, we also grew up together in Canberra and we went on our first international dance tour to Thailand together when I was... Your first and only international dance tour? Oh, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so this year the work is going to be based around the Playhouse Theatre, which is the theatre that Quantum Leap has been performing in almost every year for the past 20 years. And when I was a member of the Youth Dance Ensemble myself, that's where I performed. So I have a pretty special connection with that space. It's also the theatre that from the age of five, I had my very first performance there with the Kim Harvey School of Dance and every year in December for the um, ballet concert at Christmas time from then on. So it's, it's a really special building to me actually. It's where I um, first kind of developed my passion for performing. So I'm really excited to have been given the provocation to work from that space and I'm gonna be looking at, at how spaces affect us emotionally and exploring that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, correct me if I'm wrong, but how our emotional and historic attachments to space is like literally what you're exploring yeah. in that particular space. <laughs> yes. It's so dense and meta. It's so dense and meta, and I'm really um, <laughs> so excited to get, um, to also to get to know a whole new cast of young dancers, because a lot of the uh, young dancers who I have been choreographing on over the last two years are now off doing tertiary training and there's kind of a new generation of quantum leapers coming up that I'll get to meet and get to know and work with and I'm frequently inspired by their fresh insights and approaches to ideas and movement and how those two things intersect and yeah a real fierce advocate for youth dance and how it can enrich the lives of young people and how it's important to start the investigation of creative and thematic intersections in creating dance early because that's when creativity is rich and juicy and fun and exciting before you get old and jaded like me because I just turned 25. <laughs> <laughs> um, although I am technically still old enough to be a member of the youth dance company for one more year so I thought I might audition for my own work. What do you think? Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> That's that's really, I'm really excited about that. So that's the QL2's annual 
Playhouse season, which Canberrans will be well aware of. It's July each year, and it is, they're truly an amazing institution. They, they do such great things in youth dance. They've supported us ever since we both kind of graduated out of the youth dance company and into tertiary training and then professional practice have been so supportive and uh, they create amazing work. And the dates in July are? Late July, early, early August. Details to come. <laughs> that, that's, a week. Eliza doesn't have the dates in the her The second week of like term she she three, did. if that means anything to... Canberra primary Canberra school teachers. Canberra primary school teachers. <laughs> that's important because our mum is the most likely person to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Great. At about the same time, I am also going to be working with some younger artists. How old are we now? We're so old. <laughs> so many artists are younger than us now. I'm going to be returning to my first alma mater, AC Arts, and directing once again on the second and third year acting students there, which is really exciting. I love going back to AC Arts. It's such a fantastic building for experimentation and risk and allowing yourself to do something strange and wild and wonderful and work with passionate you know young but passionate young artists who are just on the cusp of emerging into the professional world i absolutely love working there the lectures are fantastic and we won't talk about tafe bureaucracy <laughs> at least not today this is particularly... Tell us what show you're going to do, Charlie. I was going to say, this is a particularly exciting project for me because it is the first time ever that I will be directing a Shakespeare. Woo! Which, um, which is a kind of, I think, a, a fairly substantial rite of passage for a director. If you want to hear more about Shakespeare and directing Shakespeare, go back to our first podcast where we talked about it at nausea. Bam! Every single one. <laughs> yes, we did it. Everyone's had a plug. Throwing it forward and throwing it back. Excellent. So we're doing a production of Titus Andronicus, which uh, many of you will, if you don't know the Shakespeare canon very, very well, it's the one that's incredibly violent. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited about doing this show. It's Violence. Viol well, yeah, so hear me out. It's violent, characters are racist, characters are misogynistic, characters commit sexual violence. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is working, as, as we have been at House of Sand over this year, creating our company working methodologies to ensure that people have a safe and playful creative relationship with intimate, complex, challenging material. I'm really excited to explore and keep facilitating the learning of those kinds of ideas for students. So in addition to directing a piece of Shakespeare, which is massive, part of the reason I chose Titus is that it gives an opportunity to expose those young artists in a really safe way and a really well-considered way that will be a massive part of my preparation, of course, to ensure that it is all of those things, to how to deal with this kind of work. Um, but it's also a play, you know, with rising kind of hatred in various places around the world and aggression that I think really speaks perhaps more strongly than any other Shakespeare play to this particular present moment and to the kind of wild rhetoric that we are starting to hear probably for the first time in our lifetimes, wildly aggressive and violent and tribal rhetoric from major, major world leaders. So that that's not necessarily going to be our take on the play. Um, all that stuff is there for audiences to pick and take and choose as they please. But certainly the investigation of how we do violence, how we deal with violence and and complex themes in a really in a way that is 
both affecting to audiences but safe for artists will be a big part of exploration there and also how to wrench through one of Shakespeare's most complex and strange texts um, because it was a massive collaboration between him and other artists uh, at the time because collaboration was big in Shakespeare's day too. <laughs> so that's really exciting. That will, <laughs> that season of Titus Andronicus at AC Arts with their second and third year acting students and I'm assuming it will be the normal collaboration with technical production, art design and stage management as well. Uh, I, I'm thrilled about that project um, and fear not it will have the signature house of sand punch in the aesthetic realm. Um, Wrapped in a satin glove. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. That has a July season in Adelaide at AC Arts. Yay! Yay! So that's all the big projects, and that's the two commissions that we've, major commissions that we have both got outside the company. Do we want to talk about, like, the reason the year looks like that a little bit? Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great idea. So we'll try and make this relatively quick, because um, you don't need to know, like, every, everything about what goes on back of house, but I think we, we thought well, it was... you may have noticed that our, out, our output in 2018 was pretty prolific and we have taken a step back from the old product the old public season the old model. public season for 2019 yeah and I think I mean part of the reason for that is because is simply because when you put out a whole bunch of work in one year you kind of need to restoke the home fires a little bit and the other part of the reason for that I think is a purely pragmatic thing of we very ambitiously last year committed to a whole bunch of stuff before it was funded and basically said you know what we've got a few dollars and and a few grand on a credit card that we that we can spend on a credit card in our back pockets and we want to we want to make a splash and we want to do we really passionately want to share these projects with audiences and I think is it, I think it's fair to say, Eliza, that the industrial realities of the arts means that you just can't do that years and years and years in a row. Or even two years in a row, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any money. So the approach that we've taken with 2019 is to commit only to announcing and to pursuing the works that we have some kind of resourcing for. And so this is where we got to. And I still think it's a pretty epic year. Yeah. Like, even if we... We get to do some shit good making and exploring and investigating and those two things mean pretty much the same thing. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> synonyms, delicious. So... Yeah, I also think that, they're, you know, it's, it's equally driven by a creative desire to, like you say, stoke the fires, to go back a little bit to process, to go back a little bit to the why and the how and to, to reconnect with those things why we really want to be doing this and how we create together as well I think while we have made all of our works in collaboration in some capacity this year and particularly that was Friday that that was Friday project marks the opportunity for us to really investigate the equal intersection of of dance and theatre while also pursuing in other projects our separate interests and me gaining a better a deeper understanding of theatre and Charlie gaining a deeper understanding of dance and helping each other with those things yeah I think it, it's time for us to really consolidate our processes and our interests together mm. 
I agree, yeah. And to consolidate the ways that we work together, you know, the, and, and to come to good grips with each other's working methodologies in ways that mean we can, we will be able to increasingly do what we're doing a little bit this year and, and be a part of each other's more quote unquote puristy projects in ways that are fruitful and rewarding and great. And we can make work that is really cohesively, you know, an equal collaboration between the two of us or between us and other people, which we want to increasingly do as well. And I think the other, the other impetus to do the season this way which is kind of a, a secondary impetus, but I think is important, is that we are interested in investigating new ways to engage with audiences, with people who normally buy a ticket to a show. And I think in some of the ways, what, in some way, what we're saying with a bunch of these works is these aren't quote unquote ready for the market. They're not necessarily gonna be finished. They're gonna be works that we're developing, but we want to share with you guys elements of the process along the way so showings will be open they won't be advertised out there in the world for big audiences to come and see but those of you who listen to this podcast those of you who are on our mailing lists and follow us on facebook and, and instagram will hear about them and we would love for you to engage in that work in the spirit of developmental sharing and experiences of, of creativity that is not kind of polished and perfect along the way. And in addition to those showings, particularly with That Was Friday, which is, you know, such a big process and it will be a long, long phase development project, we'll be sharing stuff in a whole variety of ways through, I mean, this podcast is one representation of that, but also through bonus content on the podcast that's more about creative process, like our internal creative process, video blogs and research material and all sorts of stuff. Some projects will have more of that, some will have less, but we are we're interested in creating a kind of ongoing way of communicating with our audiences that isn't just buy a ticket two, three times a year, depending on how often we're in your city, and, and come and see the show and have one drink in the bar and a quick chat afterwards, and then we'll see you again in nine months when we're back. Building communities, aka previous podcast or future podcast, not sure which yet. Yeah, it'll be five or six. If this is five, it'll be six. If it's six, this will be five. That's the same. <laughs> 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 anyway yeah. does that sound right yeah that yeah. sounds really right <laughs> great okay two other things quite quickly because we have been crapping on for a while now I think, I think it's been interesting oh. you're going to do a lot of it you're going to do a lot of editing yeah thank you I can do it if you want two other things um, creative development is a really important part of any artist's practice but it's something that Eliza and I really hold deep and dear to our hearts to continue our own professional development. This year I worked with uh, with Force Majeure on their Insight Intensive and you know we've both in the last few years gone to America and worked with the City Company and travelled to do various professional development courses and mentorships and such like. So earlier next year... I'm so excited um, that I am going to be doing Oh, I think one of the most special and exciting professional development opportunities that I have had, and that is that I will be shadowing Ross McCormack and Melanie Hamilton of Muscle Mouth during their creation of the new of the new Muscle Mouth work for the Auckland Festival for all of February and a little bit of January and a little bit of March. Pretty much I get to be there for the whole two months of creation and to observe the relationship between Ross the choreographer and Mel the dramaturg and I am I just think they're to start with bloody awesome people and I am really grateful to 
that they have opened up their creative process and allowed me in to observe that. And their their work's bloody phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to see a muscle mouth work, just go see it. It'll just change the way you see things and think about things and the potential of movement that they have opened up in my eyes is just really great. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I need some more effusive adjectives. <laughs> and particularly I'm interested in this because the relationship between Ross and Mel, uh, Ross being a choreographer and Mel being a producer and dramaturge mirrors in many ways the relationship that Charlie and I share. So the opportunity to be observing the dynamic of a relationship which so closely mirrors my own most close creative partnership um, but in a company which is much more established than us and has, you know, done more stuff and done real good, good stuff. Done more stuff and done real good stuff. Yeah. That was good Englishing, Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pauline. Uh, no, it's a really exciting... I think it's a great... It's an amazing opportunity. Their work is so fantastic and they're wonderful people. And, again, it's really important for artists of all kinds, but particularly emerging and early mid-career artists like us, to be able to see from the leaders of the industry to actually observe their processes of how they make work of that caliber, how they make work of that production value, and how they do so consistently and professionally and you know conduct their businesses as well as their rehearsal rooms. And Muscle Mouth are a massive exemplar of that, so I'm really, I'm so excited for, for you for doing that and for the conversations that we'll no yeah. doubt have regularly throughout that too. Also, Ross and Tash, the designer, hilarious I'm just gonna be just like I just it's gonna be great I'm just gonna be entertained I'm just gonna be entertained they're just, just funny people okay last but not least we're getting close to the end you might be wondering where the promised further seasons of other um, House of Sand prior House of Sand works are at there are some in the works uh, the most likely thing to be on stages again in 2019 not 100% confirmed, but I'm feeling pretty confident, feeling relatively confident that we will be in a position to continue bringing Revolt She Said Revolt again to more audiences. It won't be Canberra because somebody else just snaffled out the ACT rights and did a um, season of it near the end of last year. Apparently it was amazing. We couldn't be there because we were in Adelaide doing our production. Um, but apparently it was a really good production. Dad saw it. He liked it the Street Theatre Company, who are a really great company in Canberra, and so I imagine what they would be doing a good production. Um, sounded pretty legit. I'm yeah. I didn't see it. Yeah, me too. Um, but they snaffled the ACT rights out from Underverse, which I was a bit miffed about for a couple of days, and I got <laughs> over it. Um, so we are, we are currently in the process of applying to bring Revolt to one, possibly two more cities in 2019, and possibly also into 2020. Keep your eyes peeled for more information on that. Especially Kiwis. Dot, dot, dot. Ooh, Ooh. what a riddle. <laughs> I meant kiwi birds, just to confirm. Do you know they're, did you know they're nocturnal? Yes, of course I do. I did that. not know that until no, like two really weeks ago, until we watched the Breaker Upper. Isn't it amazing that you know so, so many things, and then that just, that one. I knew and you didn't. Do you know what I think? I assumed that they were bird They're also like echidnas. the size of a basketball. They're quite big. Yeah, I think I know that knew that. See, I thought they were like... Teeny weeny. Like little, really yeah. little. Anyway, 
No, I was talking to someone who did a hike in Stewart Island, and he said because it's so like wild and natural down there, and there's so few humans, the kiwis just hang out. He just saw like a number of kiwis in the daytime, just, just hanging, hanging around. Maybe they're not really nocturnal. Maybe they're just terrified of humans. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Most things are. Anyway, good reason. Back in, coming back from that tangent, touring and continuing to move work around is is a really integral part of the business model for a lot of independent companies. Um, and it's also a really fantastic way of sharing our works with a broad audience, especially for us when we work across so many cities. Um, our work, a lot of our work has only ever been seen by a fifth of our audience because it's only ever been in one place. So if you... Give us your money because we want to bring it to you. <laughs> if I was going to say, I was going to be a little bit less like wry than that about it. <laughs> if you are in a position to co-produce or have some impact in your city, town with a venue or whatever of getting our work to you and you think you would like to see it, please get in contact with us. Please get in contact with that venue and say, you must bring House of Sands show this here to this venue or to this festival or whatever. And yes, also the final pitch is we can't make Give any of your this money. Work. Give, Give us your money. money. Give us your money. Give us, Give us your, your money. money. I think we changed keys. It's because the first one didn't work in the door. So yes, we have, as you can see, a massive program of activities for 2019. Slightly smaller in terms of public outcomes, public performances than 2018. But not that much if you think of a showing, which is free, or near to free, as a public outcome. A massive program of activities, and we have a lot of really great supporters already behind it. Um, let's list them. We have the Sydney University, we have QL2, we have the Old 505, we have Strut Dance, QL2 again, and the Adelaide College of the Arts and Muscle Mouth, already supporting our work and working in partnership with us. But we cannot make this kind of work without the ongoing support of our audiences and patrons as well. So if you think our work is valuable, if you think this podcast is valuable, um, and if you would like to support our ongoing practice in any way, you can whip on across to patreon.com slash houseofsand where you can become a patron. Patronage is a monthly direct debit de deduction. Direct debit deduction. From your nominated bank account of any amount that you like. Um, Charlie loves when there's three Ds all at once. Eliza, right in the middle of the money pitch. <laughs> Come on. Um, You're the one that said direct debit deduction. Yeah. What were you expecting? Direct debit deduction. From your nominated bank account. It can be as little as a dollar a month. That would equal only $12 a year. And every little bit helps and gets us towards making more great work and bringing it to you and your friends and family in cities and countries and places all around the world and mostly Australia and New Zealand so far. So if you're Australia and New Zealander, it's especially relevant to you. There will, during 2019, be uh, other ways to support us if you would like to give one lump sum donation to our second half of the year program of work. We will have a crowdfunding or similar platform of some kind coming up in about April. The likely scenario is that donations through that platform will be tax deductible. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. We should get House of Sand branded peelers so that people can peel their eyes and their ears. Yeah. For House yeah. of Sand. Yeah. The House of Sand peeler. Good, good idea. That can be our merchandise. Oh, merchandise. We can't talk about that yet. It's not confirmed. We're working on merchandise. It's going to be really good merchandise, though, because Eliza also does drawings and paintings that are really excellent. 
and they're going to be on the merchandise. It's not just going to be boring merchandise merchandise. It's going to be art on a t-shirt. No one's ever thought of that before. I don't know if you know this. Nah, some people have. Yeah. Very few. Anyway, <laughs> merchandise is coming soon. That address for on your ongoing patronage of anywhere upward from a dollar a month, again, is patreon.com slash houseofsand. And that's all. Where are we going to go? Because I've got to get up early to catch a plane to Wellington in the morning. Oh, yeah. So, so sad that you're leaving tomorrow. I'm not going to see you for like a couple of months. That is a long that's time. That's a long time for us. We might even start to develop our own identities and personalities separate from one another. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. We're looking forward to seeing you at one or other of those showings, events, functions in 2019. If you can't make it, that'll be really sad. So send us an email or something fun instead. Lovely to be with you. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And we will talk to you again very soon. Bye, love you. Good work. Bye. Too many tangents. That's our theme song now. Being a woman and sharing friendships with other women, perhaps. Or, you know, it could end up being about ducks. Who knows? That's why some, it's a... Some ducks are also women. Some ducks are also women. Uh, I wonder if there's any matriarchal duck societies. I should look into that. <laughs>